Welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and I'm here with Father Kunu. Rocking, <laughs> rocking that Kakui nut, that Kakui nut lay. Good Lord. What has happened to our podcast? <laughs> um, well, can we acknowledge that we, 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 we had set this up a little bit differently. Like, I didn't have this on originally, but then our yeah. internet decided to crap out, and so... You missed out this whole thing where I went and fetched this. We had this whole conversation about how this symbolizes, you know, <laughs> the the spirit of a teacher. And I wear it for yeah. Sundays and, and stuff, right? It was given to me by the school here at at St. Mary's. That's – see, um, and that's – But I'm not, I'm not just blinging it. I'm not just blinging. Yeah, and you know, you know, and you see, folks, that's the good kind of cultural appropriation, Right. People think that when they hear cultural appropriation, it's like, oh, it's bad, evil. Like, no, no, no. Actually, it's not. It's neutral. Like, there's no – it's not good or bad. There are, there are good kinds and there are bad kinds. Bad supermodel and a native, hair, a native headdress is bad appropriation. This, you know, this was given to you. Right, right. Well, I mean, like, all of fashion involves some degree of cultural appropriation, right? I mean – the polo shirt, right? Khakis, really? right? Khakis were originally worn by like the Bohemian army or something like that, right? So like every 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 article of clothing that we have at some point or another has some roots in another culture. Now, obviously some of it was just sort of taken because it was like, oh, I think that's cool. I'm just going to, now that is now appropriated as a part of my identity. Right. Who cares if, it has deeply held cultural resonance with you. I do what I want, right? Yeah. Whereas, like you said, like you know, something that was bestowed on someone, right? You have the blessing of wearing it. I would say that's like the best kind of appropriation. Yeah, <laughs> you can't be, you can't beat that, right? Well, and it's also <laughs> a thing that, like, wearing a lei in Hawaii is a bit different than wearing a lei on the mainland, right? Like yeah. when you start wearing them as like, Oh, we're having a, we're having a beach party. Here's oh, a lay wearing them at the Polynesian like, resort at Disney world. Well, I mean, there's some degree of where they've engaged like some Polynesian cultural stuff to kind of okay. give that an okay. But, <laughs> but it's still, okay. yeah, but it's still, it's still an iffy thing, right? Because it's, it's not, like a lei is a very culturally it's like it's a deep cultural thing in Hawaii to give a lei. I mean, it's an act of aloha. You 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 know, it's you know, you're really meant to sort of go out and get the flowers yourself and string them and make them to give them to someone as a sign of your affection for them. The idea that you would just sort of willy nilly get them and give them to people is So I if know. I if I showed up in Hawaii and I got off the plane and you're picking me up and I was wearing a shirt that said, I'm here to get laid. That would not be good. No, not good? Not good. All right. It reminds me of like when I went to China, and I thought I was being so ironic wearing my Bruce Lee is my homeboy t-shirt. Right. <laughs> like around 
students and stuff. Um, but at the same time, they actually all loved it. They thought it was funny. Um, I don't know. Probably not. You probably shouldn't they do probably that. Thought... But it's, it worked out in the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, they probably thought it was funny for reasons different than you did. Well, I mean, it started a lot of conversations about Bruce Lee. People wanted to talk to me about Bruce Lee when they saw it. Like, yeah. Oh, you really like him? I love his movies. I'm like, yeah, he rules. There you go. I was also the... wearing a Bruce Lee hat. That's a bit extra. Well, do you remember my Bruce Lee hat that I wore all the time in college? Uh, no. No? Oh, okay. I remember my first time going to Jamaica, and one of my favorite moments was one of my friends on the mission trip in Jamaica asking the Jamaicans, have you ever seen Cool Runnings? (laughs) (laughs) Complete sincerity. And they were like, of course I have. They're like... These are kids whose parents like push a push cart to make money. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm sure that they have uh they have a VHS player at home that has a well worn copy of Cool Runnings. <laughs> That's great. They love John Candy. I mean, come on. Oh man. Gosh, there there are probably so many other stories I have. But uh I don't know. As you could tell, we don't really have a, a topic uh this week. So we're just we're just having fun, you know. We're just uh, just guys yeah, being well, dudes. Well, you were you were before before the internet decided to abandon us. Uh, you you were talking about research on other podcasts, and you were surprised to learn how how prepared they are. Yeah, and I I was really surprised. I'm like, I don't think we could. I think if we had to do this, we just wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, I remember I've only watched one Lindsay Ellis video. Yeah. You're a fan of Lindsay Ellis. Oh, and I, I'm, Lindsay I'm, a, Ellis. I'm a fan of her work from the one thing I watched. Um, <laughs> and uh, but listening to her talk about like all the research and prep work, she just sort of that one episode you watched it had to do with, you know, me, like protest music. Pro- yeah. Protest music under the Bush era. Yeah, and she and she indicated something in that episode about like the research she did for this episode, or how long ago she had planned out this episode. I remember thinking, and then watching it and seeing the amount of production and work that goes into it, and sort of like her and her people, like they they map out a season. Oh yeah, dude. What they're gonna do? I mean, they do treat it like an actual television show. Well, you know, she makes enough money to do that. Well, of course. Um, she, I mean, I don't know how much she makes. Uh, it's all from a combination of Patreon and sponsors. Um, she has an agent. Jeez. Um, and she has like a whole crew. And uh, I think as of last year, I think like they just bought their own production space, like their own production office. And she has like, and she has people on on payroll. She's she's paying their health insurance <laughs> yeah i um and I she's guess. still in debt <laughs> for going to film school at both nyu and usc oh i you know i gotta say as much as i as much as i complain about the internet and i sort of see it as this thing that has brought a lot of negativity into the world yeah i can't i also can't help but appreciate the fact that this sort of you know disruptive quality that it has where someone like Lindsay Ellis or I mean shoot you and me and Matt 
you know, we just get a hold of we just get a hold of some equipment and we put together a thing. Yeah. And, you know, that's it's how she somebody can make a bunch of money or yeah. you just do it for fun. And that's how she start, started out like us. I mean, kind of. She uh, there was this there's this website called Channel Awesome. It sucks. Uh, hosted it's by not. hosted by the. Yeah, it's not awesome. Hosted by the nostalgia critic who, you know, he had his time in the sun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he, at the height of his, at the beginning of his popularity, he had a contest looking for the nostalgia chick who was going to be like a female version of him. And uh, they had like a contest and Lindsay su- submitted her, you know, video or whatever. And she won. And um, it was, it, I mean, it basically just started out like she ha- she already had a platform waiting for her, an audience waiting for her. Um, and she just kind of ran with it. You know, she started out with like just basically like us, like just a like a poor quality camera and her talking in front of it, you know, talking about like feminism and labyrinth, <laughs> you know. Um and uh now she's doing what she's doing today. And it's 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 pretty awesome. Um yeah. I've actually been that I've been following her since the beginning. I'm I that that labyrinth episode was the first one I ever watched. And it is uh it is poor quality <laughs> compared to what she's doing now. It um, is it is very fun to go back and to see like the beginning stages of these sorts of things, right? Like even our first episode is hilarious. Oh, yeah, you can hear that. It sounds like we're on a ship, like in the bow of a ship. I think we even say that in the episode. I don't know. I think we said the second episode. But... Yeah. Because <laughs> we had no microphones. It was funny because like we were just crowded around my laptop. Yeah. I pressed record on GarageBand and we just like, well, what are we doing? <laughs> And I went and to now, Birth Movies Death and uh, found that Superman article. And uh, here we are. Here we are. Here but, we are. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that's I was, and that's the thing. I, I, the reason why I was doing the research, Chuck, is because I've been asked by my local library uh, to be a guest on a panel about starting a podcast. Okay. And I'm pretty excited about it. So I decided just to kind of... Do uh, I don't know? I just I just I just looked around the podcast uh, uh, sphere and just see like what are people doing, you know? Um, kind of gather my own information, and but I was struck by like how <laughs> how prepared some people are compared to us. And can I just read uh, this guy's process real quick? And because I, I just sure, want to hear sure. your reaction. Okay. 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 We have a process that gives us turnaround in two days on a 30-minute podcast. We start with an outline slash treatment and record an unscripted version based on that outline. We transcribe the unscripted version, revise it, polish it, and run through it twice. Uh, Record on both or at least the second take. Then review the audio. Punch in ADR on any poorly recorded slash enunciated segments. Spend the second day editing, mixing, mastering, publishing, and done. They do ADR? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right there, that's way more than I'm ever willing to engage in. <laughs> that's what I was saying. If we did something like that, we would just not do this. <laughs> like, I always felt like the, the benefit of podcasting is that you don't have to be a an expert sorry, my, audio engineer <laughs> to do a look, good podcast. I sorry, my hair is like bugging me when I look at my little picture up here. Um, so I'm like doing like, I'm like doing the here. George McFly thing. <laughs> um, 
I'm your density. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I love about that I love about what like a podcast, like you said, like what it offers to us is this, uh, dare I say, punk rock. Yeah, well, I always compare it to a like, garage band. Yeah, you just yeah, you know, we're I mean, we're basically we're basically we're basically the shags, right? <laughs> we're just we just hit record and we put it out there and it just it is. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of my approach to like almost everything that I do on a on a digital in a digital format. I kind of like the idea that you can see the warts, right? Like it's yeah. almost like jazz. Like you need that. You need the like impromptu qualities that you're not like when it's too polished, it doesn't feel authentic. Right. Right. And I, one thing I can't stand about podcasts, most of like, I, 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 I don't listen to very many of them because they've all kind of like how we talked about with EDC last week. Like it, they, they've all started to kind of Be become like very, uh, very like um what's the term i'm thinking of like homogenous yeah. yeah yeah and they have this very like distinct aesthetic and you hear the voice in the microphone <laughs> they have the thing and they carry through all the sounds of mm-hmm. their vowels and they speak in this even tone you can hear the spit in their mouth i just <laughs> yeah i'm the same way i i noticed that about myself too uh about listening to podcasts i the only podcasts i like listening to are on the sort of unconventional side. Um, mm-hmm. I will probably listen to somebody doing a podcast with their like gaming microphone over like another former president starting a podcast. You know, <laughs> are you talking about Bill Clinton? Yes. Uh, they have to stop, Chuck. We can't compete against that. I know. White guys in their podcasts. I <laughs> we got to compete yeah. against Conan O'Brien, Michelle Obama, and Bill Clinton. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, and and I don't know. There's there's also this element to the right when you talk about listening to these low quality podcasts. Maybe we should try to do the opposite, and we should try to be like the the torchbearers of just like crap quality podcasts. Like we use the word, like we intentionally use the worst stuff. Like you've sick. got like the barrel, the barrel webcam from the old Max, you know, that you like stick <laughs> yes. the top and you know, the, you know, the webcam or like your microphone is the mic that comes from the Famicom that was used in the original oh, Lord. Zelda to yell at the bunnies See, in the Japanese version of Zelda. I'm thinking of the, the microphone that came with your Dell PC. That was that really oh. long one. Oh yeah. 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 That you had to like mount and, yeah, <laughs> or, like, or like I said, like a gaming headset, <laughs> or like, yeah, or yeah, yeah, a gaming headset. I'm just trying to think, like, because I've got my mask here. Like, put put this over the mic and just see what does this do to the sound? Is this just completely unlistenable? Yeah, well, and and that's and that and I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I I I would prefer that. I like I I just maybe it's just in my old age. I don't know. I just prefer scrappier people. I prefer yeah. to let like the talent speak for itself. I yeah, I, I realize and this is a similar thing to me about like the church. 
I feel, I think I may have mentioned this a few, like a month or so back, but I feel a lot, I I realized in the past like year and a half, two years or so that I don't really, I don't want to be the priest at the polished big parish. Yeah. I like scrappy parishes. Right. Yeah. I like. You know, like I like when I walk into St. Mary's that you can see some of the water stains from a leak in the roof. Right. Like, I like that. I, you know, when I when the church I worked at in seminary, um, uh, Epiphany is this big, beautiful old church, gorgeous thing. But when I was there, it was like falling apart around us. And it just there was something to that. I liked I like seeing like the wood falling off, you know, one of the beams upstairs, up, up above, you know, the kind of the fear that, you know, maybe something's going to collapse on me in the middle of a service. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to my fair, those kinds of churches on my travels, you know, and they were always the more spirited ones, yeah. you know, it's like they, they, they were, they, they, uh, there was something required of the people being there. Right. It's, it it kind of makes me think a little bit about Bonhoeffer, you know, Bonhoeffer being this German Lutheran who came to teach what at Yale. Uh, or no, so or was it Howard or uh, Columbia? I, I can't know. remember. Anyway, I think Bonhoeffer he, died, right? Like <laughs> Well, no, well Bonhoeffer, I mean, yeah, Bonhoeffer ended up going back to Germany and dying, but he spent a time teaching in the United States. Okay, I, I didn't remember. know that. I don't I don't know. I don't have a comprehensive knowledge of Bonhoeffer, sorry. It's all right. Anyway, he came to the United States. I have to look this up because somebody's going to correct me on this and call me out that I should know my Bonhoeffer more. <laughs> but all I remember about Bonhoeffer is that he did not attend Lutheran churches, even though he was a Lutheran when he was here in the States, that he preferred instead to go to churches in Harlem because he felt that they were more authentically Christian oh, yeah. than the sort of mainstream Lutheran churches that he experienced. Um, and like, I, I feel that. Like, I feel that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you run the risk, of course, you know, like in like in college, right? Like there's that there was that risk of going to a church like that because it's an affectation, right? Like, right. Oh, oh, you go to Christ Fellowship. Well, I'm going to the black charismatic church in, you know, Palm Beach Lakes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like there is a temptation to do it as like an affectation thing. But I think Bonhoeffer was onto something that there really is something to, like you said, those kinds of environments because they sort of require something of you. Mm hmm. And I think, you know, like in art too, like, you know, something that, something that's sort of lo-fi. Yeah, I, that's it. I, I love the lo-fi. That's, it, that's my style. Yeah, it, it, it does require something, right? Like anybody can, anybody can listen to like a crystal clear podcast on their, you know, Bose stereo system in their car. Yeah. Right. But mm-hmm. you want the, you want the podcast that like, it kind of fades out on the passenger side speaker in your old Corolla. It's only playing on one side. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you've got your, you've got your iPhone plugged into that thing that goes in. That's like a cassette tape that goes in the deck so that you can. (laughs) It's true. I mean, and you know, there are polished ones I listen to. Um, that's fine. But at the same time, there are ones that are like, you know, Matt and I, Matt, has started listening to this podcast called the King cast and it's hosted by Scott Wampler from BMD. Yeah. And uh, I think drew McQueenie from uh, any cool news from back in the day. And it's all about, it's a Steve, it's a Stephen King podcast. And it's actually like, it sounds really great on paper. Like these two cool film critics, one I love cause he's like hilarious and he has a great knowledge of, of all kinds of cool stuff. One, just a great film critic. And they're talking about 
Stephen King books and their adaptation with a celebrity guest. And they get some cool guests. Like they got Camille Nanjiani. They got uh, Alex Winter recently. Um, they got some high profile people. Um, and uh, I listened to an episode. I'm like, this is boring. Like, like everything works. The sound is perfect. Uh, they got two great, two great hosts. You got celebrity guests. And I'm like, I can't really finish an episode not into it but then you know i listened to like i my favorite podcast of all time was harmontown and it's just dan Harmon just like saying whatever he's thinking mm-hmm. on a microphone like in the earlier days when it was it was scrappier when it first started out he was just like harmontown when, when harmontown first started out it was just dan Harmon and his friend jeff who was on whose line is it anyway and they would meet at the, at the um at this famous comic book store in LA called uh, Meltdown Comics. And Meltdown Comics had something called the Meltdown Theater. Or no, the the Nerd Melt Theater or something like that. I don't know, some nerd crap. Uh it was but it's just like a basement. It wasn't like a fancy theater, just like a like a dingy basement. And that's where they met every week and Harmon would just like just talk. And I'm like, that is what I like. And granted, right. Harmon is, you know, he created Rick and Morty and community and stuff, but, but still granted, like at that moment, you know, he, the talent is just speaking for itself. Like I said, you know what it is? Yeah. It's the difference between going to like a big production like Wicked or the Lion King or some big Broadway thing. Yeah. When there's like. There's like this little black box theater a few blocks away that's doing just some avant-garde weirdness. They're all wearing black turtlenecks, and you have to use your imagination on like what they're what what the set is. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The entire like the audience is on the stage, and the play is taking place like around the audience. And <laughs> yeah. the stage is drawn with chalk on the ground. And, <laughs> totally. You know, and the and the only music is tuning forks. I mean, it's you so, know yeah. like like. I, I want to go see that. Totally. Yeah. You know, I mean, Wicked's awesome. I've seen Wicked, right? Like, right. but I'm, I'm also really interested in that weird thing that some, like, okay, this, I wish Matt were here because we could talk a little bit about Velocipaster. <laughs> yeah. Because he took one for the team and watched that garbage. Yeah. And as he pointed out, he was expecting it to be a Miami connection and not a Sharknado. Right. And Which I knew I knew this, and this is how the trailer was going to be a Sharknado. By oh, the way. right. So, if, if any listeners who don't know what that we're talking about here is a Sharknado is a movie that sets out to be bad. Yeah. Um. And not like in a not like in a, it's a like purpo- fun, purposely kitsch, you know, grindhouse Tarantino type way, right. Right. but like in a like just bad like it's they're they're trying to like they're trying to make a bad movie like they know they're making a bad movie it's not like miami connection which is not necessarily from a filmmaking standpoint good yeah but you can tell that everyone involved believed fully in what they were doing totally and therefore the movie is good because they're so committed to what they're trying to do and they clearly don't have the budget to accomplish all that they want to accomplish, but they also don't try to, they don't try to fake it. Like they don't try 
to do special effects or anything that are above their pay grade, right? They know the limitations of what they have mm -hmm. and they work within the parameters that they've been given to make the best product they have with those limitations. Yeah, and YK Kim is very much under the impression that he's making like an Enter the Dragon. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, he, like, he really, they really think they're making a martial arts masterpiece. They really yeah. do. And what, didn't the movie come out the same year as like Batman? I don't really, I don't remember. I think it was a little bit earlier than that. Okay. I'm trying to remember when it came out, but I remember like they really thought that it was going to just destroy at the box office. And um, bring world peace. And bring world peace. That's right. <laughs> um, but like, so that's the thing. I, like, like a Miami connection, that's what we're talking about here, right? Is yeah. people who embrace what their limitations are, mm -hmm. but are, you know, sort of committed to it. Rather than people who are like, I guess like like a movie like Velocipaster comes from a place of privilege. Probably, they have this sort of disposable income to make garbage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh huh. I, I yeah I know, and it's also there. There's a fine line to it as well because and and I've I've talked about this before. I haven't really gone into detail on like how it would work, but one thing that. Dan Harmon always talked about in Harmontown when he was giving advice to writers was like, don't be afraid to be bad. Right. Like if you want to have a one up on professionals, write something right now because you're going to put out more stuff than the pros are, are, are putting out because they're like banging their heads against the wall trying to get through like one draft. Meanwhile, you have like five drafts of a screenplay, five drafts of a screenplay about like a guy who farts lasers or something, you know? And 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 from that sort of philosophy, he developed this uh, kind of a film festival. He calls it a television festival. But it's essentially a film festival um, where you have to you you produce the first episode, and it gets screened on the, on the big screen, and then everyone votes on which show uh, goes forward and which ones get canceled, and you're kind of expected to do like as little work as possible. Like as little, like it, it's not supposed to be polished. Like you just use whatever is at your disposal. And that thing where I said that guy who farts laser beams, that was one of Dan Harmon's shows that he made for this thing. <laughs> it was, and it was called laser fart. And there's like one about a guy who's, who's like a cop, but his thing is that he like surfs on top of cars that's how he chases people. So like, and, and, and these, and, and I've, I've watched, I've watched a number of these and they're great. They're hilarious. It's, it's got that, it's got that adult swim weirdness to it. Right. Right. But there is an evil side to it. And that's the Sharknados. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how to avoid one or the other, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Maybe it's like Kurt Cobain, right? Where it's like, oh, it, it looks like he just picked up a, a guitar out of a dumpster and just like he just started playing Smells Like Teen Spirit. But in reality, you know, he's like a trained professional. Like he's had a lot of years of experience. He's actually quite quite a genius, <laughs> you know? Well, I think I think one thing with Cobain, part of like the aesthetic. Yeah. Right. Some of its affectation. Right. You just, it's undeniable that some of it's affectation, personal style, personal style is always affected. Right. But in terms of like his guitars and his instrumentation and the sounds that he achieved, 
a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was Frankensteining guitars together right. from like pawn star like pawns to shop pieces and learning how to swap out pickups and doing his own wiring and things like that. So it's a brilliant you guy. Know, <laughs> right. There's a lot of skill actually involved in that. It's you know, it's just he doesn't have the luxury of going to pick through the Gibson catalog and get all the parts to build it, right? He's you know he wants some humbucker pickups. Well, he there's a busted guitar at the pawn shop that has humbuckers, but the rest of the guitar is shot. But he's got like the body of a right because he played um he played Jazz Masters, Fender Jazz Masters, one of his signature guitars, and that was a defunct guitar that Fender like they built it for jazz musicians and jazz musicians didn't use it. The only people who used it were surf guitarists mm -hmm. because it created weird sounds that didn't work for jazz musicians. That's cool. Um, and so by the time surf music like went away you could pick them up for like a dime a dozen at pawn shops and secondhand stores and stuff and so that's one of the i mean the reason why kirk cobain had that iconic guitar style is because he could get them on the cheap and rebuild them on the cheap to do the sounds that he wanted and so you know it's and then it creates its own thing and so i think that's the difference right the difference is the difference between between like a miami connection and a sharknado is Kurt Cobain Frankensteining a guitar together based off of what his limited resources can accomplish versus going out and buying the Fender Kurt Cobain edition jazz master, which has like fake dents and scratches in it. Yeah. Um, or being like, you know, your upper middle class rich kid and you go out and you buy a brand new guitar and then you take a sander to it to make it look bad because that's what the look is. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, you end up making, making something like uh, that ends up on Adult Swim. Right. They seem to have gotten it down, if you ask me. <laughs> what, Adult Swim? Yeah. Like, I think that's what people who make movies like Velocipastor are trying to do. Right. But for whatever reason, they can't. They don't have the skill first. Yeah, because I, I think Tim and Eric think, aren't just like Tim and Eric aren't bad comedians. No, they're very funny, but they just pretend to be bad. <laughs> well, and I think part of it, I, I will say for almost everything that I've ever watched in Adult Swim, I get the sense that these were people like you and me that when we were kids watched a lot of Cartoon Network and whatever garbage they had on Cartoon Network when it first started. Yeah, you know because. You can't look at some of this stuff and not think like, oh, this is somebody who watched a fair amount of Johnny Quest on Sunday nights. Yeah, yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, or just Space infomercials Coast, all night perfect. long. Right. It, like, I mean, that's the thing, right? Tim and Eric is clearly like infomercials and random VHS tapes they've picked up at thrift stores. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. like public broadcasting and stuff. Yeah. Like these are kids. Yeah, these like so – Right. So I don't know much about Tim and Eric, but it's quite possible, right? That they could have been people who their parents couldn't afford cable. And so they had to entertain themselves any way they could. And so they watched, you oh, know. Well, and also, you know, you and I, we come from evangelical backgrounds. So, like, we grew up watching, like, you know, really bizarre stuff anyway, right? Like, yes. <laughs> so we got to have it. We have that sort of eye and ear for that kind of that kind of scrappiness that we could probably synthesize into something purposefully funny. Well, and that's one of the things like that's, you know, like that's one of the reasons why I like on this show us talking about what I call Christian curiosities, because there is this weirdness. Right. And I feel like 
I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I hate to throw a little shade at him, I guess, but like good Christian fun seems to not get because well, I get they, the they have their goals, you know, they're not trying to be like, well, they scrappy. They're trying to be like, you know, right. But they didn't like, I don't know. They didn't like, I don't get the sense that they grew up with this stuff. <laughs> you don't think so? I don't know. Uh, I, I think Kevin did. I think Kevin maybe did. Kevin did. Maybe Kevin did. But there's a his knowledge is too extensive. Like that's true. But Kevin also seems to have a he's got a bit more of an axe to grind. Yeah. I think because I think like you and me, we like there's a lot of stuff that we really dislike from our evangelical upbringing. But there's also some stuff that we realize like we 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 had to carve out some affection for it. Yeah, right? it's I think that I think uh, that's kind of like kind of like what kind of like MST3K, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you, you'll, you'll these interviews with like you know Joel Hodgson and and Mike Nelson and Bill Corbett and Kevin Murphy and all these people, they don't like hate these. I mean, they hate shedding through them because they're so bad. But at the same time, it's like you have to kind of love them too, right? Just like I, I will make I will make fun of so much Christian rock, but I will also like I'll, I'll make fun of Newsboys all day long. <laughs> yeah, but you put. Put on Entertaining Angels, man. You know, you put an, that's a beautiful song, just in general. But like, you give me Shine, you give me Breakfast, you give, take me to your leader. Like, I, I'm going to love it. You're going to start singing it. Like, you just you just can't help yourself. Right. I mean, aside from the fact that they that Newsboys has like they used to have one of the most like famous famously celebrated live shows of any touring rock band. No, I see. Yeah, when they like the the whole drumming thing where they like oh my gosh in the air and stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, cause like, oh dude, I, there's so many weird movies, right? I mean, the buttercream gang, I can't get over that. The like, buttercream gang. Is that okay? I have to ask you a question. Also, right? I watched an episode of McGee and me the other, uh, like the other day, Chuck. Oh, McGee and me. And I, I was like, wow, that this twist- is, or, or no, sorry, whatever that one is. The night of the twisters that Devin Sawa movie that like all my seventh grade <laughs> no, girls no. were into. It was the one, it was one that I owned. I mean, I owned the twister one and I, I did watch that actually before we did our good Christian fun episode. Cause I wanted to bring it up, but never did. Um, <clears throat> it was uh, the episode I watched recently was, um, one that I owned that, that really stuck with me as a kid. It's the one where it's one where Nick and his, uh, lying piece of crap friend <laughs> uh, uh they they plan to go see a scary movie and he sneaks out of the house using a ferris bueller sort of device so when people right. there's a lot of there's a lot of like um rube goldberg machinery going on in the mcgee and me series. yeah because nick is like a he's like a genius like he's an inventor that's why he right. sees that's why he sees the, he has the delusion of mcgee right uh, haunting him it's his it's his id right there um anyway the beautiful mind <laughs> it represents his id and his super ego um so he 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 escapes with his friend i forgot his friend's name uh but he his his thing in the show is that he lies like all the time mm-hmm. and he's just like he's he's a ba- he's a bad person he's a bad person chuck uh but they love him anyway because we're we're good Christians, uh, so they 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 go see this scary movie and it's like awful and it, it's definitely like stock sound effects. You know how like TV shows used oh, yeah, to do yeah, back yeah. in the nineties where it's like oh I'm watching Home Home Alone 
and you hear just like or something like this weird sound effects like in that episode of seinfeld where he's watching home alone and yeah yeah that's what I, that's exactly what i was thinking i knew you were <laughs> nice um <laughs> this is great um no they're just watching this this like obviously fake horror movie and he's just like retching in his seat like it's like it's like hurting him you know i can't believe i'm watching this and he takes like the long walk home and they're playing some, you know, some contemporary song and he's got his head down and he's walking home. And his parents are like, oh, we found out that you, you snuck out and you saw the movie, didn't you? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, what'd you think? He's like, it was terrible. Nobody should have to watch anything like that. <laughs> oh, Chuck, it's just such good propaganda. Like well, every, every McGee and me, every McGee and me, video yeah was a very special episode oh totally yeah mm -hmm. every single one of them which yeah. by the way my wife had no idea what i meant when i talked about very special episodes oh really that's funny because i was like you don't know what we're like you know like episode of family matters is going to deal with some kind of like topical thing and the the commercial beforehand would be like on a very special episode of family matters yeah like urkel unleashes a bioweapon or whatever <laughs> The time is now, you fools. The, the Urkel bot becomes self-aware. <laughs> Did I do that? Humanity. <laughs> Anybody want some cheese? It's like a neurotoxin. I am. I am. He just starts psh, sparks flying. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we don't have a topic. And we just I know. Sort of, it's a rabbit trail of our brains. And Matt's not here to be like, what are you talking about? What's going on? <laughs> He'll do that while driving, listening. <laughs> I um, but oh no. Okay, so you mentioned the buttercream game, I, gang. I have to ask. Okay, so all right. Most of these Christian movies that you talk about, I only ever like that we talk about. I only ever saw when I had a substitute teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? They wheeled uh -huh. the video cart in, and you're like, "Yay, movie time!" And then it was like McGee and me, like, "Oh, okay." Um, <laughs> yeah. But I remember we watched. We watched some weird stuff. We watched one about like some teenagers getting a car accident and going to hell that like Whoa. Scared, scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. But and I don't remember much about it except the hell the, the the elevator to hell was just like an industrial elevator lit red. Um Awesome. That's so metal. But but I um there was this so there's this there's this movie that features a group of kids and one of them is like a genius. And he's developed this like they're like kids at a camp and like they're going to have this big like boat race at the end of the episode. And he's basically developed like a NOS system for the boat. Mm -hmm. But anyway, at some point I, I do. I don't remember much about this, but here's the one thing I remember about it and why I bring it up, because it's bugging me because I need to find this clip. I need to find where this comes from, because it became a meme for a group of my friends and I when I was like from like fifth grade to seventh grade, which is. There's a group of bullies, and then there's this group of kids. Like, like you know, I mean, they're obviously both kids. Bullies are kids. But, like, you know, the, the, our, our protagonist group, and then there's, like, the bullies. Yeah. The bullies are picking on the kids, and the genius has, like, a gerbil or a rat or something that he, you know, because he's the nerd science kid, so he has his rat. And at some point, the kid, like, picks up this, you know, rodent and is, like, going to hurt it or whatever. And it bites him on the finger, and the line read has never left my brain because clearly they want to show this as a bad kid. 
Mm-hmm. They want to show that he's the type of kid who would say profanity, but it's a Christian movie, so you can't have profanity. <laughs> yeah. And so he goes, stupid thing bit me, stupid thing. I don't I, – an aneurysm starts forming when you, however you recite that line – because have I just did this on the podcast before? No, you ha- you have. I don't know if you. I don't think you've done it on the podcast, but we've talked about this a lot, and right. I swear I've seen it because I yes. know that line. Can I know I it. I don't it's... know. I can't, but I can't re- re- recollect it at all. I have googled. I have googled buttercream gang, and <laughs> the plot points do not match up to the the thing that's in my head. And so now, like, is this is this like an Mandela effect? Like, is this like some remnant? I don't know. I've, I've heard this line. I've heard this line. I've said this line. I've laughed at this line. I have no idea where it's from. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> it's great. So I've been reading. So I've been reading Alex Garland's The Beach again. Okay. And uh, the conversations that Richard that Richard has with all of the people on the beach. Mm-hmm are like these kinds of conversations. <laughs> I love that Alex Garland captures that sort of like, you know, millennial, early millennial, well, late Gen Z, for him, it's late Gen X, but like late Gen X, early millennial, you know, mind that is just a bunch of just like pop culture fragments. Yeah. That just sort of get assembled into things. It's it's mostly a, a very poisoned mind when you think about it. Uh, yeah. A, a, a mind that's been... <laughs> That's been Swiss cheesed by television and radio. <laughs> or 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 could it be that it has been colonized? Right, probably. Because I mean that's sort of the beach's whole thing, right? It's a European goes yeah. to Thailand and you know, they keep trying to go to new places because they're pissed off at the colonization that they've left in their wake of everywhere they go and but it's feeling that uh, mine is colonized by pop culture. Yeah, Joss Whedon made a career out of it, you know. He did. Talk about somebody who's fallen out of good graces, by the way. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. Joss Whedon, I mean, he's he's coming under a lot of fire. He's he's done some 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 bad some some bad things, some crappy things. A lot of things come to light, and a lot of things like uh, it's it's actually kind of sad because uh, one thing that came to light. I know this. We're all of a sudden turning to Hollywood gossip, but <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> from we went from evangelical Christian. Videos. I now have some Buffy goss. You want to hear some Buffy goss? Buffy gossip. All right, sure. <laughs> so, like years ago, um, Buffy was kind of famous for its uh, really fantastic uh, fight choreography, mm-hmm. especially in the earlier seasons, like the like the first three seasons. And that's owed in part because um, there is this really great stunt coordinator duo wife and wife and husband duo i don't know if they were wife and husband at the time they're they are now uh but they got they got their start in power rangers they were um tommy and and kimberly stand-ins oh nice and so uh they 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 could they could rock a fight scene they were good they choreographed them all on their own on on the set of buffy uh and uh, so buffy's stunt uh double i forgot her name uh sophie i think sophia or sophie um, legendary in television stunts. Um, she only stayed on for three seasons and ended up leaving after season three. Or was it season four? I think it was season three. 
And uh, there was like a huge thing about it. Like people were really upset because a like the fight scenes were kind of like were, were sort of making Buffy on top of like the good writing. And also, um, there was some hubbub about it that it was like, oh, she left because she didn't like Sarah Michelle Gellar. Because there were all these like kind of rumors spreading that Sarah Michelle Gellar had become like a huge diva, because mm. because of how well Simply Irresistible did in theaters. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the movie Simply Irresistible, Chuck. I don't. Okay. <laughs> it, it turned out it was very resistible. Um, I just think it's funny that they chose that because Cruel Intentions did come out after that, and that was actually a bigger yeah. success than Simply Irresistible. Yeah. Uh, Simply Irresistible about a girl who has witch powers and uses them uh, to open a restaurant or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Is that Kiki's delivery service? Something like that. I don't know. But she comes back after that into the set of Buffy and like the rumors was like, oh, she's a diva now. She was in a movie. And like apparently Sophie and Sophie like was saying like was like kind of was talking some 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 she was spilling tea, as they say today. Chuck. Yeah, she was saying things like, you know, she I would have to run in her place like she wouldn't even run. She became such a diva. But now she's come forward and be like, uh, Joss Whedon, like harassed me. That's why huh. I left. And so for years, Buffy fans were thinking like, oh, Sophie and, and SMG, they hate each other. Because SMG was like a diva. And that probably wasn't the case. Wow. So, uh, you know, Joss. Holly, Hollywood. I know. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Toxic industry, really. Uh, yeah. and yet I miss it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like evangelicalism, right? Toxic, but we, we still have love for it. Yeah. Uh, so I can't get rid of the good memories. You know, they're there. It's like, it's like a, a photo of album with ugly photos, but it's like, you can't get rid of them. Right. You can't get rid of right. your memories. It's your life. Well, you know, it's both, both are in fact, good examples of what happens when, when white supremacy sort of reinforces itself. Yeah. You know, um, you know, male white supremacy reinforces itself because it just perpetuates this cycle of lack of lack of accountability and lack of of context. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's just it's it's always just kind of disheartening because Joss was seen as like a like a hero to people, you know, especially right. back then, because he wrote about, you know, Willow being a lesbian was like a huge thing for the LGBTQ community. One of the first, right, on television. Um, and they're very, very feminist show. He was kind of being hailed as a feminist icon, which in itself is kind of, you know, looking back on that, like, ew, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do that to dudes. I don't know. <laughs> um, and what's funny, though, is, like, have you ever seen, like, a like an old photo of Joss Whedon? Like, a really old one from, like, like the first. Yeah. He's, oh, my God, dude. You look at it now, like, yeah, I could see him doing some 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 messed up stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's that creepy guy. Yeah, <laughs> he has like long, like shoulder length hair. Like it, it, he just looks, he looks like he 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 looks. He reminds me of that guy from Roseanne, uh, Darlene's boyfriend, David. Yeah, the dude from Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yeah. This is it's just kind of funny. I don't know. Whatever. Has nothing to do with what you were saying on white supremacy. I'm just like he's, yeah. Yeah, he just looks like a creep. That's my <laughs> that's my well yeah. 
no leads on stupid thing bit me, stupid thing. Yeah, listen, if you know, please, I mean, it's it's killing me. Because I know I've heard it. I know I've heard it. You know? Yeah. So. Um, I think that was the first example of, like, a bad line reading that I ever experienced in my life. You know, it is kind of funny. You bring up an instance. Of like, what was like? The, when did you start noticing like things could be bad? And I, and for me, I actually know when it was. Okay. I was a big Nickelodeon kid. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, it wasn't about that Disney Channel. Give me that Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Again, you wanted the scrappy versus the polished. Exactly, and also like their their advertisements are so good. Mm-hmm. Viacom did a really good job of that. Um, um, it was that show, My Brother and Me. Okay. Okay. I think I remember this show. And those kids were just terrible actors. Just terrible. Like, I remember it being like, people don't talk like that in real life. What's going on? I don't like the show. What is it? I mean, you know, because my favorite shows were like Pete and Pete. Great acting. Right. One great. Uh, <laughs> Again, it's a, that's an Adult Swim kind of show. Yeah, uh, all of that, which was great sketch comedy. They're all yeah. great actors too. You can't do that on television. Oh yes, yes, Chuck. Yes, salute your shorts. Hey, dude. <laughs> salute your shorts. Exactly. These were these were even though they were from Canada, we won't hold that against them. They were good actors, but this is the first show. I was like, wow, this kid is like he's like he's like struggling to get lines out of his mouth and i kept seeing that kid in other shows one in particular show was sliders i'm like that's that bad actor kid and he's acting bad on sliders too my brother in me is the name of the show yeah i want to find out if i know who this kid is because i think i i've got an image in my head and i think i let's see my brother and me yeah my brother and me okay let's he was see. the older I brother remember, do you not remember this show Okay, starring, all right, Arthur Reggie the Third is top billing. That might have been him. The cast, okay. I think, uh, I mean, I re- recognize that name. I think that was him. Arthur Reggie the Third is Alfred, Alfie Parker, Dee Dee's older brother and younger brother to Melanie. Best friends with Goo. He is 11. Oh, yeah, Goo. A surprise. So this is him? Yeah, you could definitely tell with the, the kid Goo, they were definitely going for like a, a Little Pete vibe. Right, Arthur, Reggie. I mean, that name sounds super familiar. That, that's Arthur, him. Let's see. I'm trying to remember which uh, episode of Sliders it was. I think it was the one where it was still like the '60s. The '60s didn't go away. Was it? Is it this kid? That's him. I've seen him around in a few things. Yeah. I think when I watched a lot of those evangelical movies, I was aware they were bad, but I think I was, I, I didn't understand the language to like what I meant, you know, that they were bad. Right. Like sort of, yeah. But I think it was just in general that I knew that almost everything, you, everything, I mean, almost all the Christian movies I watched were like sort of lame ripoffs of like mainstream things. And that the thing that I never really liked is that they all had to shoehorn, they all had to shoehorn some kind of like conversion experience into the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but I, I can remember the, the distinctly remember the first time that I walked out of a movie and I said, that was a bad movie. Yeah. And that was 
Batman and Robin. <laughs> I was in the bathroom after seeing that movie, and I was like, I just saw a bad movie. Like, yeah. I just had that that enlightenment popped in my head. I had one, too. It was uh, Double Dragon. Oh, man. I, can't, I, I was excited for it, too. Like, yeah, Double Dragon movie. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Double Dragon. I, I play Double Dragon 2 with Charlie sometimes. It's fun. <laughs> and I was like, they're not even in their outfits. What's going on? And then they finally are in their outfits. They barely even fight. Of course, Robert Patrick is, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> makes the movie, really. Well, I mean, he makes the movie and everything he's in, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. I... I think I I think I can remember feeling a sense of disappointment when I saw Masters of the Universe for the first time, <laughs> because I'm like, "Where's Orko? Like, what what is this?" Yeah, because and that that's that that becomes the gauge of like what's bad, right? When they're trying to make like the thing you love into a movie, you're like, "Where's this character?" Like that doesn't right. they don't they don't do that. This is a bad movie. I love Masters of the Universe though. <laughs> I loved it when I was a kid. I, I didn't think it was a bad movie. Like I said, I don't think I really realized what a bad movie was until Double Dragon. Yeah, <laughs> or I don't know. You know, I did see, I did see the Mario Brothers movie in theaters. Ooh, that I was, that was based off the previews of that. I knew that I wasn't going to like it because it it looks like such a departure. Yeah, from the show. But also, I think I think that movie came out at a time when my mom wasn't letting me see movies that were rated PG thirteen because it was a PG thirteen movie. Yeah, but I remember that that um that moratorium was lifted when Jurassic Park came out. Yeah, because they came out the same year, the same summer, yeah. I, I believe. Yeah, because I remember I wasn't allowed to see. I would see movies, and I'd be excited to see a preview on TV, and I see the rated PG thirteen, like. <laughs> but then I remember, like, I got so stoked about Jurassic Park until, like, and I just remember standing in line at Target, buying a Muldoon action figure, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. And the tranquilizer bazooka. <laughs> and at, oh yeah. And asking my mom if I could, if I, if we could go see Jurassic Park, even though it's PG thirteen, and she was like, "Yeah, I think we can do that." Yes. Sweet. Score. Um. But yeah, I think Batman and Robin was the first time I realized I saw a bad movie. I defended Batman and Robin. Like I didn't, I didn't want to hate it. <laughs> that was me with Spider Man three. Hey, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still into Spider Man three. I, I spent, I spent my entire trip in Thailand trying to defend that movie with T1. <laughs> it's so funny. Like I, I'll never forget watching it because it came out, it came out the day we graduated. Yeah. I and think we all went to go see it like right after graduation, didn't we? Like all of PBA went to go see it. Cause I remember my yeah. theater was just like all PBA kids and it was so bad that like it became like a rowdy screening. <laughs> like the part. Yes, where... I remember I, re I got mad. <laughs> you would like, yeah people laughing at like people laughing when toby mcguire's crying and yeah there was a part where like he flipped his hair and then and everyone just lost it just lost it and i was like oh this is terrible i'm having such a horrible time <laughs> oh gosh that's a bad movie dude i don't care how much you try to defend it. it's a bad movie it's you know i uh it was good ideas poorly executed well, yeah, because so much of it was mandated by the studio. Sam Raimi didn't want to. Didn't, he, Sam Raimi didn't want to mess with Venom. That was uh, what's his name, Avi Arid. That was his yeah. idea. 
he he he's like you gotta you gotta do this. I mean, they, he had like a whole thing planned out. And they, I will say, I will say though that I really I was totally on board with the casting for Venom. Yeah, I was too. I'm not one of those people who's like Eddie Brock should have been ten feet tall. Like, no, yeah. I don't care. He shouldn't have been a a, 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 a Rob Liefeld character. Like, right. And I also <laughs> think that, but but what disappointed me is that they didn't allow him to have the same build. Yeah. They made him bulky in the costume. I feel like it would have been a much more effective thing that he's the opposite of Spider-Man. Like he's, right. you know, his inverse. That's that's sort of what I thought they were going for. The Sandman stuff's great. So that's Raimi, and that's great. Yeah, totally. Um, but, and thankfully, Venom was completely redeemed. I've heard people say that Venom is like legitimately good. No, they're they're crazy. Okay. Well, it's like I said, it's 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 scrappy. It's a scrappy movie. So it's entertaining, you know? And if that's your bar, you'll probably enjoy it. If your bar is entertaining. Okay. If your bar is like Spider-Man 2, hell no. If your bar is Spider-Man 3, you'll have a good time. you have a good time. <laughs> because Tom Hardy, dude, I don't care what Tom Hardy is doing. That man is always entertaining. He brings oh, yeah. his A game to every role, and he rules. That's why he's one of my favorite actors. See... I want to see a movie where they give they, they cast him and Johnny Depp and they give Johnny Depp like crazy hats and they give Tom Hardy a crazy accent and just let him have at it. Yeah, I I watched I recently watched a movie starting Tom Hardy called Capone, um, where he plays Al, Al Capone. Capone. Yeah, he plays Al Capone in like his final days. Right. And like I, a lot of people are going to watch the movie. Tom Hardy is Al Capone. A lot of people are going to hear that movie on thinking it's like a gangster film. It's not a gangster film. It's about Al Capone slowly dying. Right. And it's like a, it's a I haven't seen it, but I've read about it. And it's a it is a psychological character study. Yeah. He's like he's he the syphilis is slowly killing him. That's what the right. movie is about. <laughs> and he, the voice he uses. I don't know. I don't know if he should have done it, but I loved it because <laughs> like he'll just be like he he's like. He sounds like this. He sounds like a Dick Tracy character. There are there are moments where like he doesn't even speak. He just goes, they'd be like, "Hey, out." You're starting to sound a little like Sling Blade, JP. That's what it was like. It was like Sling Blade. It's a pretty good movie. Prohibition and Taters. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good movie though. I liked it. It's my my kind of movie. I don't think it's for everybody. Definitely not a gangster film. Like I said, give give me a movie. Let's see. Let's 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 imagine a ridiculous movie. Let's imagine. Okay, Tom Hardy, give him a crazy accent. Johnny Depp, give him a crazy hat. Just Nicolas uh, Cage. Nicolas Cage is in it. Just, just, just cut him just, loose. Just, just do, do whatever, whatever he wants. wants. Yeah. Explore the space. Uh, and then have like a fourth generic white guy character, and just without any kind of without without any kind of acknowledgement, randomly throughout the movie, between edits. It's either Jai Courtney or <laughs> Sam Worthington or Garrett Headland or Charlie Hunnam. Just like all, all four of those guys are playing the same character, but never in the same, never within the same scene. <laughs> yes. And we just never acknowledge it and see if anybody notices. Oh, Josh, I'll give it to Josh Trank. It yeah. could go one way or the other, right? Um, Mick G. Mick G. <laughs> He's not doing anything. No, that's not true. He's making to... he's making movies for Netflix now. Yeah, but isn't he like trying to be like a real serious director now? No. I thought he made something recently that was like a serious movie. 
I don't know. I, the the last movie he made was a movie called The Babysitter that was like a horror film, that like a really over the top horror film. It's actually pretty okay. good. I liked it. Has stars Samara Weaving, who's oh. a great actress. Uh, she played uh, her most recent film was Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh, she's in that movie. Yeah, I she plays it. she plays Bill's daughter. Oh, nice. Thea. Samara Weaving is you know she's got a rising star. Of course, her 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 dad doesn't it doesn't hurt right. Um, oh, I didn't put that together. Is he? Is she Hugo yeah. Weaving's daughter? I didn't know that. <laughs> Duh. She's also uh, in Ready or Not, which is really good. I highly right. recommend I that movie. really want to see that. Dude, it's good. You'll like it. And the guys who made that, they're making Scream 5. Nice. But Samara Weaving, not going to be in it, apparently. And I was very upset about that. So. But cool, cool actress, Samara Weaving. And uh, you're right. Mick G should direct that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the full Charlie's Angels style filmmaking yes <laughs> yes or um or maybe get paul ws anderson yeah bring him out he's <laughs> he's out of resident evil movies you know like they're, they're moving on without him because now they're just now they're just remaking the games or i mean yeah or you could bring in len wiseman they're not making any more underworld movies so <laughs> underworld 2 is another movie that was not good they let that guy remake total recall Oh, he's the one who did that movie? Yeah. See, the thing is, I the thing about Total Recall is people like, got all upset about how bad Total Recall was. You know what? I I just thought it, I thought I enjoyed it when I saw it, but then I forgot it almost a week later. The remake? Yeah. Yeah, I never saw it. I didn't think it was like terrible. People like act like it was some kind of like direct assault on God's integrity. Well, but Total Recall the original is a masterpiece of Paul Verhoeven cinema. Well, it is. It is. It's. It's. It is insane. <laughs> it is. It's so good. I watched it recently, and I had a blast. I watched it again a second time right after. Those that era of Schwarzenegger movie, yeah, is unparalleled. The mm. Running Man. That's insane recall. movie. Yeah. Um. I mean, just like I love The Running Man. Yeah. I love that movie. I uh, and you know what's great about those movies, Chuck? What's so great about, especially Total Recall and Paul Verhoeven? He knew this. Squibs, 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 and blood bags. Now I yeah. know what you're thinking right now, listener. If you're still listening after what we've been, I don't know what we've been doing. I know what you're thinking. Oh, there's JP being natural again. No, oh, like all my bloody movies. Now listen, listen, listen to me carefully. Think about every action movie that's come out in the past 10 years that's used CGI blood. And think about all the action movies that came out like in the 80s and most of the 90s that used, you know, the blood bags where you saw blood. Compare your reaction to the violence in the recent action films and the violence to the older action films. How did you react when you saw the blood bags? Was it, ugh? Probably, because that's how I reacted. Mm-hmm. Even though it was fun, there's probably like, ugh, CGI blood. You get nothing from me, right? I don't care. I don't care about the violence going. It's it's desensitizing us, Chuck. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I, I it's interesting you bring this up because um, Kana and I are are working our way through Star Trek Enterprise for the third time. Yeah, um, she loves that show. And uh, third time, oh my god. Oh yeah. 
And uh, there's an episode where they find a planet where humans had been abducted sometime during the Old West, and um, they were transplanted to this planet, and for some reason, for over 200 years, they haven't advanced at all in technology. They're just stuck as being a Wild West society for 200 years. But um, anyway, I mentioned this because there's a a shootout that takes place, and Jonathan Archer, Scott Bakula, he gets shot in the shoulder, Mm -hmm. and they use a squib. Oh, and wow. it looks like an le- actual legitimate exit wound. <laughs> so you get shot through the back of the shoulder and it comes out the front. And I remember I, I actually kind of like recoiled watching it. I was like, oh, my gosh, like that's a very realistic looking exit wound. Yeah. You know, so compare that to Star Trek 6, The Undiscovered Country, when they go onto the Klingon ship and they start shooting all the zero G Klingons and you get the <laughs> CGI pink blood. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't it doesn't hit the same. Yeah. I think th- there's something to be said about that. That and then that's and that's becoming the norm now for action films and for horror films too, um, where the blood is all CGI and it's you know there's a, there's there's a there's a cost uh, factor to it. Right. Back then, you know, if, if someone if you if you blew up a blood bag, it got all over everything on the set, and so if you had to do another take, you had to clean up, you had to go back into costume, you get another costume, wipe all the crap off, and. St- you know, restage it all over again. Now, I mean, the guns don't even have to like, I mean, they can even add like muzzle flashes on guns now and actors can just like move. They're going to make it look like it's shooting. And it's like, no problem, whatever. Put a green mask over a guy and like in post, well, it would like fall off his body. But like yeah. people aren't, it's not, it's not impacting you anymore because you know, it's CGI, you know, it's like not real. And well, I think that, and, and I well, and I think that the visceral I think the point was the visceral reaction in the action films like you weren't supposed to be like oh that's so cool give me more I mean most people probably were but at the same time you initially you're like ooh you know like he's not coming back from that these days it's like I don't know did those all those guys in John Wick actually die I don't know yeah <laughs> well it makes me or think I guess about Deadpool this. well there's this podcast that uh, that uh, and see we're ending where we began yeah, there was yeah. a podcast that uh. Uh, that Father Fun turned me on to um, a couple years ago that was about audio and the digitization of audio mm-hmm. and how that loses this sort of human organic quality. Because like even now as we're talking and you're listening, you are hearing a computer's approximation of my voice, not my actual voice. Right. Um, and you know, there's this element that like there's something there's like a layer of meaning lost right between digitization and, and an analog situation or, or, or in person or whatever. Yeah. And so I think that 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 helps explain a little bit why we why we resonate so much strongly with practical effects instead of instead of CGI mm-hmm. effects. Here's a good one in that is uh, the Mandalorian. Yeah, um, the Mandalorian has as many artificial sets as anything George Lucas did in the prequels. But the big difference is, is that they filmed them all on the volume, which if you haven't seen the Disney Plus making of The Mandalorian, it's awesome. You should check it out. But the volume is this massive 360-degree screen. Mm -hmm. And they projected all of the background stuff of the sets onto that screen while also building a few practical elements in the foreground. Yeah. And so 
it adds this realism, even though it's completely CGI, the fact that it's happening sort of in camera rather than in post-production adds this element that makes it feel more believable. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. So yeah, those, those Schwarzenegger movies were pretty awesome. <laughs> Bring back and, squibs. Squibs, man. I, the thing is, I think RoboCop used all the squibs <laughs> that Probably. Hollywood had in that one famous scene where the guy gets shot by the ED by the ED ED two hundred nine or whatever. Oh man, see, you know that's my favorite use of squibs. <laughs> that is, they just lit up, and at the end, someone call a medic. Like, <laughs> well, I have to go because I have to go pick up my son from school. That's fine. You should go. You should do that. Uh, I'll hold it down here. I'll, I'll keep talking. I'll what keep if, ranting about squibs. <laughs> what if, like, what if we were doing this like on the phone, and I just carried it with me, picked him up, and just sat him down, and he was part of. And we asked him, "Hey Ford, what are your thoughts <laughs> hey, about squibs?" Hey Ford, watch this scene for Total Recall real quick. You tell me how you feel about it. <laughs> tell me how you feel about watching these eyes bulge out of this guy's head. <laughs> I'm thinking like the escalator scene. Do you remember the escalator oh. scene? Where, like, the yeah. random dude just gets shot and used as a body shield yeah. for, like, both sides. Yeah. Like... Yes. I forgot. <laughs> All right, Ford. So this is called Kowatu. <laughs> Quaid. The and then like, I say, and Ford, this lady, she went to the same school that JP, that Uncle JP and I went to. <laughs> yes. Do you think she kept her sailor hat? <laughs> The best thing is, I want to know, like, there's some people listening to this episode right now that have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. There are some people who've seen Total Recall and are like, are they talking about what we think they're talking about? And there are others who know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. The thing is, is yes, yes, the famous actress from Total Recall. <laughs> not, it's in not, Sharon, not Sharon Stone. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. In one scene. Not Rachel, Tilla, up, not Rachel Tillitan. Tillitan. Yeah, it's also, she is also an alumna of... Palm Beach Atlantic University. Yes. Yeah. So I think it was Palm Beach Atlantic College when she went there. Probably. <laughs> and on that note, that's she a good was place. listed. She was listed like right below Victoria Jackson on the Wikipedia page for PBA one. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, all right. Well, on that note, I think it's I think it's time. I think it's time we move yeah. on. It's time. So and, all right. Uh, so uh, what's the next? What's what's our next topic? <laughs> We're going to ease into it a little bit because it's sort of planned on the fly. Sort of like the first time we did Music Mayhem. Yes. Yes. Um, so a new series. I don't know if it'll be anyone. We'll have to see how it goes and how many listens it gets, which I'm, I mean, I'm assuming it's probably going to get a lot. We're probably going to cover out a whole new audience for this podcast. Yeah, it, it could get interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tune in next week where we introduce Maraku. Which, I don't know. Is that the bad the cultural appropriation? <laughs> Ma, Ma, Madaku? Modaku. 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 It's a it's a portmanteau of mod, masters of divinity, and otaku. Otaku, which means what? JP. An anime fan, right? It's nerd, nerd or okay. geek in Japanese. Sure. But yeah, yeah, typically understood to be a manga and anime fan. We are diving into anime, folks. That's what that's that's what it's all about. Finally. The one pillar of nerd culture that we have not have not done like a deep dive in yet. That's right. We're finally doing. So uh, join us again next week. 
And uh, we hope you like this episode. I had fun. I had fun. I, it, was, it was a good time. This was a good riff episode where it didn't feel like we were just filling airtime. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't know. Uh-huh. I like this one. I like the energy in this one. I did too. It was good. Um, I want to thank Father Kunu for making it out. Out here. Yeah, bro. Yeah, brother. And uh, thank you, listener and viewer, for, for listening and viewing. And join us again next week. Have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey.